Well, we turn our attention now to Skid Row in the city of Los Angeles. Is the city of Los Angeles attempting to police homelessness away? Here to talk about this is UCLA law professor Gary Blasey. Gary Blasey joined the UCLA faculty with a distinguished 20-year record of public interest practice. He teaches clinical and public interest lawyering courses, including clinical seminar in public policy advocacy. He's one of the core faculty of the law school's unique David J. Epstein program in public interest law and policy. He practices, teaches, and writes about advocacy on behalf of children in substandard schools, homeless families and individuals, low-income tenants, low-wage workers, and victims of discrimination. He also serves as the Associate Director of the Institute for Research on Labor and Employment, which supports research and education on issues critical to working people. He's received numerous awards for distinction in the field of public interest law and for providing legal services to the poor. In 2007, uh, students in the Fact Investigation Clinic focused on the Skid Row area of Los Angeles, which has the greatest concentration of chronic uh, homelessness in the United States. And along with Professor Blasey, they have put together a report taking a look at uh, the Safer Cities Initiative. It's titled Policing Our Way Out of Homelessness. And here to talk about it is Professor Blasey. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us. Uh, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. I hope the holidays were were, uh, good to you. Uh, Yes, Uh, much better than for many of the folks in our city, I'm, I'm afraid. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's get to it, and uh, perhaps you could begin by uh, defining the nature and the scope of the homeless population, uh, either in Skid Row or in Los Angeles in general. Well, in the greater Los Angeles area, there are about 75,000 people uh, at any point in time who are uh, literally homeless, meaning they're in a shelter or sleeping outdoors or in their cars. Um, and Skid Row, which comprises about uh, eight-tenths of a square mile, has about uh, 5,000 uh, literally homeless people. Um, most of those in Skid Row are in shelters uh, because that's our half of the emergency shelters in the whole region have been concentrated into Skid Row. Um, but there are still uh, between, um, depending on who's doing the counting and the season and whether it's raining or not, between 700 and about 1,500 uh, people uh, on the sidewalks. And what is their, uh, you know, their uh, racial or ethnic composition? Um... Well, you see in the in the population of Skid Row a reflection of basically the failure of many different institutions in society um, and the history of poverty and um, discrimination in uh, in the United States. So. It's overwhelmingly people of color. There may be 10% of the population. There are um, Anglo. Uh, the great majority are African-American men. The prevalence of severe and chronic mental illness uh, is extremely high, uh, as is the prevalence of addiction, primarily to crack cocaine, but also to, to heroin and to alcohol. Um, and a very large percentage of people have both, uh, both problems. Um, and many of those uh, folks uh, were basically people with mental health issues that were never addressed because of their poverty and the failures in our mental health system and then uh, pushed into Skid Row, which had a very, um, and still has uh, a flourishing drug market. Uh, they began to self-medicate, and their problems only grew from there. 
Now, we keep referring to Skid Row, and we're going to be focusing primarily on that uh, uh, three-quarters of a mile uh, area. So maybe it's important to explain uh, what Skid Row is. Skid Row is actually uh, the result of, of city policies. Could you explain that? Yeah, unlike um, most cities in the country, in the 70s, the city of Los Angeles decided that it would concentrate all services for extremely poor and homeless people into a small part of the city east of downtown, a part of the city that at that point uh, nobody particularly wanted. And um, in exchange for that, uh, they would pretty much bar the development of uh, homeless services outside that area. So in effect, Skid Row became the, um, the shelter, if you will, for the entire region. Um, and that worked reasonably well until... Um, businesses began to move into the area, and uh, initially they were small businesses uh, with not a lot of political clout, toy dealers and fish processors, but then as the real estate market really heated up uh, and the, the big um, business folks from the Central City Association got interested, um, then the development pressure, especially in the creation of, uh, of loft housing and former uh, buildings of various kinds, um, drew a lot of attention to the area, and it was that that led to the um, development of this intense effort at, uh, at policing um, the area um, with uh, the consequences that we describe in our report. So it's safe to say that Skid Row was kind of zoned into the, the broader city plan. Yes, absolutely. And was the idea, uh, you know, a lot of people joke when uh, when you talk about the city of Los Angeles because the downtown area proper isn't much like a city that, say, San Francisco or New York or other downtown areas are where there's mixed land use. Was the idea that because it wasn't a residential area and it was kind of just old factories that that would be a good way to kind of keep the homeless population out of the public eye or just it was a, well, a good that NIMBY? Was, yeah, that was, in fact, um, a conscious decision. In fact, the so the, the city redevelopment agency actually hired graduate students to follow homeless people around to see how far they might wander so that they could establish a buffer zone. So they, they actually estimated that was a, if you kept all the services uh, east of Main Street, people would not much wander uh, over as far as Spring or Broadway. And so that's how the, uh, the lines got established. Um, but I mean, what you say about the existing distribution of people and housing and, and so on in Los Angeles is true, and that's had big effects as well. So, you know, in San Francisco and in New York, um, homelessness historically over long periods of time, you know, was very visible to just about everyone. But in Los Angeles, um, if you stayed out of Skid Row, you could pretty much avoid it. And uh, the downtown area was designed so that you could drive straight into the skyscrapers without ever uh, having any contact with the street. So um, this led, I think, uh, to some of the political consequences that we, that we have here, which is that there, um, there's not much um, human interaction between, um, between literally homeless people and uh, uh, people who tend to vote and work and have influence. I want to remind listeners they're in tune to KUCI in Irvine. This is Justice Sir Just Us. We're speaking with Prefer Professor Gary Blasey, UCLA School of Law professor. Uh, 
he, along with students from the UCLA School of Law Fact Investigation Clinic, have put out a report, Policing Our Way Out of Homelessness, with a question mark, the first year of the Safer Cities Initiative on Skid Row, which uh, I guess is a good opportunity to uh, raise the question, what is uh, the Safer Cities Initiative? Well, the Safer Cities Initiative was actually born in an internal uh, document in the uh, police department, which was uh, titled Homeless Reduction Strategies. <clears throat> so initially it was an effort uh, really to just reduce the number of uh, visibly homeless people uh, in Skid Row. Uh, the police department brought in uh, some consultants, notably George Kelling, one of the co-authors of the Broken Windows theory of, um, of policing, and um, our review of the uh, minutes of meetings and so on suggests that over time the public relations face of, um, of the Safer Cities Initiative evolved to uh, place a much greater emphasis on, um, on crime reduction and, uh, and harm reduction to homeless people. But the, the actual content of the program did not evolve very much. Then the, the formal launch of the Safer Cities Initiative was in uh, September 2006, it was supposed to be a two-pronged strategy. That is, that there was going to be an, uh, a very major increase in policing, but that was to be accompanied by services. And as we say in our report, the police department did everything they said they were going to do, and basically no one else did anything. Uh, so it's been an entirely uh, police-driven police, police uh, uh, effort with not much in the way of alternatives uh, brought in. In fact, there have been big struggles just to increase the number of, uh, actually to have any trash cans in Skid Row where they were writing uh, literally um, hundreds and perhaps thousands of littering citations, although there's no place to put your trash. And I want to get to that in a second, but um, if we could back up a, a minute with the Safer Cities Initiative. You know, uh, listening to uh, all the local NPR affiliates yesterday, you couldn't help but hear uh, Chief Bratton on, on just about Every every talk show that they had talking about the the crime reduction in uh, in the city of Los Angeles, and uh, he was very quick to dismiss uh, any decline in the crime rate as a result of gentrification or the changing structure uh, or or composition of neighborhoods. Uh, when did the the Safer Cities Initiative? I mean, you talked about. Uh, chronologically, but what was going on at the time that uh, caused uh, the city of Los Angeles to suddenly uh, be concerned about the Skid Row area? Well, there wasn't that much actually going on in terms of crime. Uh, despite its reputation, um, Skid Row has never been a particularly da dangerous neighborhood. I mean, I've spent uh, 30 years off and on doing work in Skid Row and have uh, felt much more threatened and other parts of the city, primarily because uh, the population there is so significantly disabled, I suppose. But um, it, um, it really, I think, had nothing to do with crime. And if you read the internal police department reports, there's not much discussion of what crimes are going to be um, um, pursued, except for drug-related drug crimes. And it was clear that there was going to be and was a very concerted effort to... Um, increase the level of uh, drug enforcement um, uh, on, a, on all levels, uh, but especially focusing on uh, just ordinary addicts who comprise uh, a significant number of the homeless population. Um, so I don't think that it was crime that, uh, that brought um, safer cities to Skid Row, and in fact, there has been a significant reduction in crime in Skid Row. The question is why that is. Um, 
And uh, there's some unusual um, facts that uh, don't really appear when you just look at the numbers. One is that uh, the, the amount of serious crime in the downtown area has actually declined more outside of Skid Row, where the influx of police officers has not been, than in Skid Row. So it's a little hard to attribute causality to policing in Skid Row. Um, the other is that um, the, the infusion of police officers has been one officer for about every 10 acres. And these are additional officers. And so if you were to do that in the Rampart area of Los Angeles, for example, that would mean 700 new officers. Uh, or in the Van Nuys area of the police department, that would mean 1,700 new officers. And, uh, and one thing I think everybody in um, both policing and military circles agrees on is more more force, um, you know, a higher prevalence of police uh, uh, results and lower crime. And then the final factor, I think, is probably the one that you're referring to, which I think has a lot to do with this, and that is that if you reduce the population of an area or you change significantly the population of an area, you can have a big effect on, on the numbers of crimes re uh, occurring without really changing the, the rate at which crimes occur. So um, the policing itself uh, reduced the population of Skid Row significantly, so the number of crimes would go down even if the rate of criminal activity did not. And um, as you say, there's been a lot of displacement uh, of uh, lower-income uh, folks by higher-income folk in that area. So uh, it's probably a combination of all these, these factors. Well, and you just touched upon so many different things. I mean, what, I, I, particularly what I was kind of getting at, which is that uh, it's referred to the Safer Cities Initiative, but the idea that the, the homeless population is uh, somehow responsible for a high violent crime rate is just uh, not borne out by, by statistics. And yet there's this, uh, this concentration of law enforcement in that small area. Uh, the report talks about 50 extra police officers, and you just talked about if you were to compare that to, say, the Rampart area or others. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, the, the ratio of law enforcement to citizens is just, uh, you know, unprecedented. Uh, yeah, we didn't actually look at comparisons, but I, I would... Right, I mean, you I, were I giving a hypothetical. You'd have to go to, to Baghdad or somewhere to find that um, that mm -hmm. higher rate of um, policing. Right, it was a hypothetical that, you know, to compare. But... Um, and I guess that this is a is a good segue to the uh, the underlying uh, theory behind the uh, Safer Cities initiative, which is this idea of broken windows style policing. And uh, I guess for the sake of, of full disclosure, I should point out to listeners that uh, George Kelling, the author, one of the co-authors of the broken windows theory, was. Uh, my dissertation chair, though he certainly knew that I disagreed with him and uh, still knows that I disagree with him, so I don't think that's going to uh, be any problem in our discussion. But uh, could you quickly outline the the, um, the premises behind broken windows theory? Well, it's, pr it's pretty straightforward. Uh, the basic theory is that if you have what are called, uh, quote, visible signs of disorder, close quote, in a neighborhood, and that sort of signals to people that law and order has broken down, and therefore uh, they are will then become more and more likely to engage in criminal activity. And the example that Chief Bratton likes to use is one in which I think the theory actually holds, which was that when he was the head of the transit police in New York City, and there were a lot of turnstile jumpers, uh, turnstile jumping uh, that was uncaught and unpunished induced other people to jump turnstiles since they could see there was no cost 
to doing it. And in that case, I think it, it probably did make sense. But as it's been used as a sort of a general theory of policing, it's uh, unfortunately been used in a way that um, allows um, people to uh, justify the use of police force when basically the problems being addressed are not so much uh, visible signs of criminal activity, but just visible signs of of uh, disorder, generally speaking. And as people have done experiments, it actually tends to mean things like the visible signs of uh, black men uh, induce people's fear that an area is dangerous. And um, therefore, it's and, and it's a theory that has been widely um, challenged and and um, and debunked by studies in, in other in other areas. And my own, I'm not a criminologist or a sociologist, but my own view is that it as limited to areas like turnstile jumping or uh, you know, things like that. It probably does have some salience. But in terms of arguing as um, effectively the police department of Los Angeles is arguing that uh, pedestrian violations, walking against a crosswalk, uh, writing 12,000 citations for um, violations like that will somehow cause uh, crime reduction. Um, that's such a non sequitur that it hardly raises to the level of, uh, of a theoretical contention. But uh, it's easy to dismiss because if jaywalking caused serious crime, then New, New York would be over, overrun with uh, right. violence. Well, and I, I think that that's, uh, it's, it's an important thing to clarify. So, again, broken windows theory argues uh, that there's a contagion effect, not an, an evolution, that jaywalkers don't then become uh, serial killers, rapists, muggers, and so forth, but that when uh, there's a neighborhood that allows one kind of crime violation, such as littering or graffiti, it... Uh, it sends a visible cue to others that there's lax policing or lax enforcement in that area, and it attracts other people who have, uh, you know, who want to sell drugs, who want to engage in prostitution to that area. So it's it's a a theory of crime contagion, but the the problem is that it, uh, at least from a law enforcement uh, perspective, is that it then necessarily, as you just pointed out, links jaywalking and littering or panhandling with these more serious violent crimes but by by default they, they you see a jaywalker and in your model of policing that is the first step and i'm, I'm almost i'm paraphrasing the broken windows theory that's the first broken window in a whole series of broken windows i think that's true and you know astonishingly um if they were actually applying the broken windows theory rather than just sort of using it as a ideological um, cover, you would see something different. I happened to be in Skid Row at 4 o'clock in the morning uh, talking with homeless folks um, a couple of weeks ago, and um, the amount of trash on the streets is just phenomenal, more than anything I've seen in any third-world country. And it was almost all commercial trash, basically being dumped on the streets by the small businesses. Um, and in speaking with the police folks down there, uh, they said, yeah, we have a really hard time getting uh, street services to come clean up this stuff. Uh, and um, nothing ever happens to the small businesses that dump their trash on the sidewalk and let the taxpayers pick it up. Uh, by contrast, um, there have been many uh, littering citations written to homeless people for such things as dropping a cigarette ash or dropping a cigarette butt and then picking it up. Um, so um, it's pretty clear that the 
broken window theory isn't actually being applied as if it were being treated seriously as a theory of policing. Well, it's interesting that, uh, I mean, in the course on policing that I teach, uh, I argue that if, uh, if police really were to adopt a broken windows uh, uh, theory of policing, they would actually fix the broken window. They would actually have paint buckets in their trunks and would paint over the graffiti, and they would actually have... Uh, you know, pooper scoopers and other kind of trash collection uh, paraphernalia in their trunk. That, but that when the theory of visible disorder gets applied to policing, which is clearly a, a, a form of government that uh, measures its success in number of arrests, uh, physical disorder becomes uh, personal disorder or broken windows kind of become broken people. And so you see it in some of the numbers that your uh, your report cites. Maybe you could give some of the numbers that you've hinted at on uh, citations and arrests and uh, kind of break down the numbers in that Skid Row area. Yeah, in, in this area of uh, about eight-tenths of a square mile with a, with a daytime population of about 12,000, um, the police officers have been writing about 1,000 citations a month. So in the first year, they wrote 12,000 citations. 85% of those are for pedestrian violations, uh, principally uh, walking against the don't walk signal. Um, and I could get into the traffic signals in Skid Row, but there's probably more detail than uh, is required here. Um, there have been about 750 arrests a month. About half of those have been uh, drug arrests. And actually, what, to my mind, one of the most insidious and and harmful aspects of this has been the combination of uh, a sting program that the police department adopted in combination with the district attorney's uh, policy decision not to plea bargain uh, any drug sales uh, case for less than state prison. So you had um, hundreds of ordinary addicts being approached by undercover officers and being made offers they really couldn't refuse. Um, $20 for, for a rock of cocaine or something like that. And then when they provided it, they were arrested for drug sales, and then they're sent to state prison, uh, which is um, just on so many levels um, the wrong thing to be doing if we actually want to reduce these problems. Um, so that's the sort of scale of the thing. The, um, the idea that police officers could actually get involved or the police departments could get involved in actually working to solve the problems has begun to, to happen to some extent in Los Angeles, um, partly as a result of seeing that there is a uh, about seven to 800 uh, severely mentally ill uh, people uh, on the streets of Skid Row, and, and being uh, human beings, a lot of the police officers uh, began to see that the need for supportive housing. And so um, beginning with the people uh, in the central Division, uh, there's been um, a significant amount of support from the police department for increasing the supply of, uh, of supportive housing, and, and recently uh, Chief Bratton's got on, on board as saying that that's going to be an, an essential component to actually solving the problems in Skid Row. So uh, in a roundabout way, we are coming back to the obvious uh, point that if the, if the problem is reducing the numbers of homeless people, then the solution is to make them non-homeless people, so then they won't trouble you because you won't see them because they'll be indoors. Well, and I think these numbers uh, are indicative of some of the things we've seen with broken window style policing in other cities. Uh, you know, you talk about uh, 
citations that are uh, citation rates that are between 48 and 69 times the rate at which uh, such citations are issued citywide. Uh, you talk about how, uh, again, you know, for, for things such as uh, jaywalking or uh, things like um, littering, if we want to call a cigarette uh, bud uh, littering, uh, this is that kind of zero tolerance style policing that we see in New York and elsewhere where the number of uh, citations or arrests for nonviolent offenses are, are astronomical. Um, so do you see these, these number of, of arrests for small-time drug offenses? You know, was it the median amount of drugs seized in these stings, which I think is important that you had pointed out, is uh, about 2.5 grams or uh, less than an ounce? Yeah, far less than an ounce. I mean, typically the amount of drugs involved is on the order of um, between 5 and, and $20, um, and only a handful um, fewer than 10, probably fewer than five of these arrests were of people whom I think everybody would agree are serious drug dealers. It's sort of obvious in the ratio of, um, of arrests for possession for arrests for sales. They've basically been about equal, suggesting that there are as many drug dealers as there are drug users, which is a ridiculous proposition, of course. Um, but also, in just in reading the police reports, uh, they tend to look identical uh, because they basically industrialized this process in addition to the 50 officers. They brought in um, about 25 additional uh, narcotics officers from around um, the city and then created these by-bus teams that had um, 15 officers. Uh, and all the reports have um, the same, well, not the same, but different teams of 15 officers listed. And they invariably involve it, uh, undercovers approaching um, a defendant and um, making an offer, it being accepted, sometimes accepted just by saying, uh, I don't have any, but if I can help you find some, could I have a share? Then that leading to the, the drug sales um, conviction. So, and the, and the quantity um, involved is, um, is minuscule um, in terms of, uh, of weight. So there's not been um, a significant number of real drug dealers taken down. We're speaking with Professor Gary Blasey, UCLA School of Law professor, uh, talking about uh, the Safer Cities Initiative on Skid Row. Well, all of this begs the question then, uh, is the city of Los Angeles attempting to police homelessness away? I mean, is that what's going on? I think that's the hope. Uh, the hope of um, the folks who have the expectation of making literally billions of dollars uh, in the real estate downtown. Uh, hope that they can sort of clear the area uh, on the um, on the dime of the taxpayers, if you will, uh, and by using a police force to make uh, the area so unappealing to um, to homeless folks or people they find to be an aesthetic problem that those people will go into some other areas. And um, yeah, I think you know, to the credit of the police department, uh, here are many people in the police department. They they understand that that's not going to happen unless you actually provide some housing because there really aren't the means to survive uh, outside Skid Row in any meaningful uh, quantity. So uh, people are going to stay in that area uh, unless you provide the means to survive outside that area. Well, so, let's uh, in the time we have left, let's let's address that. Let me uh, play devil's advocate here and uh, say, you know what, if 
the homeless population in Skid Row simply went to shelters, we wouldn't need the Safer Cities initiative. Well, unfortunately, that's the policy that Los Angeles has been following for 25 years, and it's an abject failure. Um, by far our biggest shelter is a big warehouse in, in South Los Angeles at 37th and Figueroa, where about 600 people spend the night, but they don't spend the day. They get bused there on school buses from Skid Row, and then they get bused back in the morning. Uh, people go into the missions. They're kicked out of the missions at 4.30 in the morning. I was actually surprised to see that they'd changed the, the kick-out time. Um, but they're not, um, they're not non-homeless. They're just, um, um, they get a few hours uh, rest. By contrast, in cities all over the, the country, uh, people have discovered that it's both much more effective and also much more um, cost-effective to uh, work with uh, chronically uh, homeless people to move them directly into housing and then to help them deal with their other problems when they're in housing. And there's a small initiative uh, for 50 people now underway in Los Angeles, uh, which I have uh, significant hopes for, but of course we've got to scale that up. Um, but we actually know what to do, and it turns out to be a lot cheaper to do that. Um, it costs about $16,000 a year to uh, have someone in supportive housing, uh, and the cost of running people through the jail system multiple times uh, through the emergency rooms and so on. Um, ranges uh, from various studies between uh, 40000 and $150,000 a year. In our study, we identified uh, two homeless women, both seriously mentally ill, who'd each been arrested 20 times in the course of about 16 months. And uh, I can't imagine there's anyone who thinks that that's a good use of, um, of, of public resources or is really doing anything to, to help those, those particular women. And in terms of, of shelters, I mean, one of the, the things that the, the report does uh, so effectively is dispel some of the myths, if you will, about, uh, you know, uh, the homeless population that uh, uh, you talk about the macro level issues and then the micro level issues. Um, you know, you, I think you do a good job of dispelling this idea that, that homeless people necessarily want to be homeless, but some of the things that one needs to consider uh, before going to a shelter, how do I find a vacant bed or a housing unit if there is one? Uh, will they accept people of my gender? Uh, do I have to give up my possessions if I'm spending one night off the street? Will I be separated from my spouse or significant other? Uh, if my mental illnesses uh, cause me to act out, will I, be, uh, will I still be admitted? Uh, all the, the religious requirements. I mean, there, there are so many different factors uh, leading to the decision to go to a shelter. Um, it, it seems like public education about uh, homelessness is, is needed as well. Well, I think that's right. Um, the, um, the right wing has spent a lot of time trying to persuade the public that uh, homelessness is a, is a lifestyle choice and that there's a so-called... Um, shelter-resistant uh, population. Uh, it turns out people are resistant to certain things for very good reasons, but uh, I have yet to encounter anyone who's really housing-resistant. Um, what they are is they may be resistant to certain styles of, uh, of shelter, but, but even there, that's sort of beside the point, because in our studies we found that at a time when the police department was counting a 1,000 people a night on the sidewalks, there were four beds on average, uh, even given all their problems. So even if you gave up um, all these other 
other concerns and you're homeless, you'd still have next to no chance of finding a shelter bed unless you were uh, quite able to get to get in line very early and that sort of thing. And uh, we're just about out of time, but talk about the uh, what is the cost of those 50 extra police officers and compare that to the cost that the city is spending uh, on, on housing for the Skid Row population? Well, the, the additional 50 officers cost about $6 million a year. Uh, the additional 24 narcotics officers, I don't know the cost of that, but it's a significant amount, probably another $3 million. So probably you're talking about $9 million a, a year in policing uh, in uh, 0.8 um, uh, square miles of the city. The entire bu- city general fund budget for homeless services, for shelter and housing and so on, for the other 460 square miles of the city is uh, about $5.2 million. So we're spending almost twice as much policing less than a square mile than we are providing housing in the entire rest of our city. And the uh, the $100,000 statistic, that's just for the Skid Row? The, there, it, says, uh, it says the city spends some $100,000 on housing for L.A. Skid Row population compared to the $6 million for the co- for the policing of that little area. Is that correct? That's probably about right. We weren't, weren't actually looking at a budget for Skid Row, but for the entire city. So okay. the general fund budget for the city is $5.2 million for uh, homeless-related services and, and the cost of the police officers we estimated from uh, LAPD budget data. So this is just, I mean, an astronomical use of uh, resources for a small area that clearly could be... Uh, uh, could be argued that could be better spent uh, elsewhere and for other things to, to help the homeless population. Well, we can clearly, um, the chronically uh, disabled population, which is the most visible uh, people, and frankly the people that the business people are, are most uh, upset about, one would argue, we can provide them uh, housing and uh, make them into non-homeless people or give them that choice, and almost all of them will take it for far less than we're spending uh, chasing them around the streets of Skid Row. Chief Bratton is uh, perhaps the most uh, celebrated law enforcement official uh, in in the country. Uh, with him involved in uh, the Safer Cities Initiative and with uh, him being the chief of police of Los Angeles, uh, is there concern that other cities will try to replicate uh, this Safer Cities Initiative model? Um, I think actually um, not so much because um, even the Bush administration has um, called the effort in Los Angeles uh, shameful and has offered up the alternative of supportive housing uh, and shown that it's very cost-effective uh, as an alternative. So I think that's the model that's on the rise. Frankly, in Los Angeles, my concern is that the Safer Cities Initiative is going to uh, spread uh, to other neighborhoods. I know that uh, uh, Councilman Garcetti has been making inquiries about whether something similar should be done in Hollywood and uh, that sort of thing. And the problem with that is that we'll just move uh, people around, and eventually they'll be pushed into areas where the local residents have less political clout, and we'll end up reproducing Skid Row somewhere in South Los Angeles or something, which I think would be a tragedy for the people who are subject to it, but also a really bad thing for the rest of the, rest of the residents. 
Finally, this is ultimately a show about uh, activism, about trying to do something about problems. So uh, for listeners out there who want to uh, do something about what's going on in Skid Row, uh, do you have any recommendations as to where they could turn? Well, there are some uh, organizations doing um, really good work um, there. It depends on what people are interested in doing. Um, um, the Catholic Worker Hospitality Kitchen has been a, an anchor um, in Skid Row for uh, 30 years that, that I know uh, and um, offers um, uh, sustenance and a place for people to, to, uh, to gather. Um, there's a grassroots organization called the Los Angeles Community Action Network that works specifically on these issues with residents of Skid Row, especially the residents who are uh, poor but housed, but also on issues of, of homelessness. Um, the Skid Row Housing Trust um, is um, a very large provider of uh, supportive housing and will be housing uh, some of the folks who are coming in off the street. Um, the uh, LAMP community specifically focusing on homeless people with um, mental health issues. I mean, these are all organizations that, to some extent, rely on volunteers, and all of them uh, rely on uh, donations. Virtually none of them get any uh, government housing or government funding for the kind of work that we're talking about. Well, Professor Blasey, I want to thank you so much for being with us this morning. The uh, report is titled Policing Our Way Out of Homelessness? Question mark. The first year of the Safer Cities Initiative on Skid Row. Uh, put out by uh, Professor Blasey and the UCLA School of Law Fact Investigation Clinic. We will have a link to it on uh, KUCI Talk. And uh, again, there are lots of ways people could get involved. Los Angeles Catholic Worker, you could uh, check them out at lacatholicworker.org. They've got a hospitality kitchen, and their website is usually a good good source for other resources. So, uh, Professor Blasey, thank you so much for joining us this morning. My, my pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Take care. Take care.